The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body, supplying the much-needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Good afternoon, beloved saints of the Most High. Haven't been here in a while, but it's uh, good to be back. It's good to see you all. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I don't mean this building. I mean in the house of the Lord with you together as we seek his face, as we bless him and praise him. And uh, without any further ado, let's get started. Um, let's start in First Samuel 16. The message today is appearances can be deceived. And there's a revelation that was given in 1 Samuel, a revelation about man and a revelation about God. And we start in verse 6, and it says, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. Eliab was David's eldest brother, if you remember, so you have context. And said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is what Samuel said. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That to me is a revelation. Man is bent. Man is inclined to make judgments, to be impressed, to be disappointed in by merely looking at the appearance of people or things. That's our bent. That's how we are as a natural man. We first and foremost look at the appearance. And we are either impressed by it or we were disappointed by it. But in the same idea, the Lord is completely contrasted with that perspective. And the Lord never looks at what a man looks like or what a woman looks like or how they walk or how they talk or, or where they came from or what nation they came from or what culture they were raised in or whether they were in the jungles or in the cities or in the suburbs or in the rural areas. He doesn't look at any of that. He's always looking at a man's heart. And he makes his judgments on that. And I thank God because the appearances can be deceiving sometimes for good and sometimes for bad. And I brought this particular instance up in Zechariah 3, where there was Joshua who was the high priest, and he was standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was there, and he was standing at the right hand opposing him. He was accusing Joshua the high priest before the Lord. And looking at his appearance, Satan seemed to be justified in accusing him before the Lord, and opposing him. 
But the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this man, this Joshua, is he not the brand plucked out of the fire? Is he not the one that I have rescued? Is he not the one that I have delivered? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. You see, Satan looked at his appearance and by his appearance was making judgments upon him before the Lord and said, he's not worthy. He's filthy. He's ugly. He's corrupt. He is defiled. And you are holy. How can you accept him? But the Lord rebuked him. While he was filthy in his garments, because the Lord saw something beyond what even Satan saw in his appearance. And the Lord changed his appearance. He said, take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to Joshua, you see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put this clean turban on his head and they put clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now if we judged him by his appearance, he would have been found unworthy. And that's what Satan does is he accuses. He's always looking at us and the things that we've done in our past and he's constantly accusing and saying, you see, he's not worthy. You see, she's not worthy. So I say that appearances can be deceiving for good or for bad. The enemy takes that and he tries to condemn he tries to say he deserves to be in hell with me. He deserves to suffer like I will suffer. But the Lord sees beyond that. He sees into the heart of man. He knows the end from the beginning. And he sees how that man or that woman is going to respond to his love when he reaches out to him. There's another example in 1 Samuel 25. David protected a man who was going about his business. He didn't ask for protection, but he did it anyway. And this man's name was Nabal. But he had a wife named Abigail. And look at the first two things they say about her. She was a woman of good understanding and beautiful countenance. I highlight that because it impresses me that the good understanding came first. Not to put aside the fact that she was a beautiful woman. But if you know the story, Nabal was a fool. Nabal was ungrateful. Nabal basically offended David's men when they came to him. And he sent them back and he rebuked them and David heard word of that and David's about to come and he was about to take care of business because he did nothing but good for that man. And when Abigail heard about it, she went out of her way, told all of her servants, hey, you need to prepare this, you need to prepare that, we need to go before him. And when, if you if you read the how, what she said to him, it was so full of wisdom, it was so full of humility, and it was so full of understanding that he was the rightful king of Israel. 
and the way that his her husband treated him was not worthy. It was not right. And she she said, put it on me. You look at the words. I'm not going to read them all. You can go through it yourself. She said, put it on me. I'll take the blame. I'll take the fault. Please take this as as, as type of appeasement for, for my husband's sake. It was me. It was my fault. If we judge by the appearance, what got me first was not that she was beautiful was that she was a woman of good understanding. And that doesn't come by outward appearance. There's a lot of beautiful people out there, men and women, that are dumb as a doornail. Head as hard as rock. Got no understanding whatsoever. And I believe that that's put there because it wants you to know, hey, don't look at the appearance. Yes, she's beautiful. I get all that. But she's a woman of good understanding. There's a, there's a verse in Proverbs that speaks of this. You probably know it. It speaks about the virtuous woman. It's near to the end of the chapter, in chapter 31, verse 30. And it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Or beauty is passing. It's fleeting. It goes away. How many of you remember the drop-dead gorgeous women from the 40s or the 50s? You, I know some of you were alive at that time. That's why I mention it. Now think about how they look today. Are they as beautiful as they were back then? No. They're all together changed. Some of you can't even recognize. Wow, that was her. Wow, that was her. The same thing happens with men. All of our outward appearance, I mean, doesn't the scripture say that our outward man, meaning our physical presence, is dying every day? It's getting closer and closer to death, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. We're getting older, we're getting, for us saints, we're just getting one day closer to the Lord. Forget my physical, I'm just one day closer to the Lord. Appearances can be deceiving. Let's look at Jesus. What did they think of Jesus? He went back to his town, his, his place of, of maybe upbringing, and, and he was with his brothers, he was with his sisters, and he was preaching and he was teaching in the synagogue, and they were hearing him and they were astonished. And what did they say about this man? They said in Mark chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So they saw the amazing things he said, the amazing things he did, but look at what they really thought about him. Is this not the carpenter? That, 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 that man that cuts wood, that makes our furniture, that gets our, our coffee table together and stuff like that? Isn't he just the son of Mary? That woman that doesn't have a husband anymore, for whatever reason, we don't know why, I don't know if he died, I don't know if he left, whatever. But it didn't say the son of Mary and Joseph, it said the son of Mary, so it seems like he wasn't even around. He was fatherless. Isn't his brother James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and aren't his sisters here with us? He's a regular man just like all of us. He's got relatives and family like we all know. And so they were offended at him. 
But what they really thought about him was that he was just a mere mortal man that had some good words and some good things happened, but they didn't recognize who he really was. So the appearance of him was deceiving to them because they did not see who he was in his heart. And Jesus said, a prophet is, is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and even in his own house. But what's the reality of who Jesus was? Let's fast forward. Let's go to Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. All parallel passages of the same thing. There was one day that Jesus took Peter, James, and John and he led them to a high mountain with him. Remember that? This mere mortal man who was the son of Mary who had four brothers and at least two sisters took them to a mountain and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. His clothes were shining. They were exceedingly white like snow. And it says that such not even a, a launderer on earth could whiten them. His appearance, his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And then they saw Jesus. They truly saw Jesus for who he was. And then two men came. Moses and Elijah started talking with him. And it says that Peter, as they parted away and left, not knowing what they were talking to him about, he says, Master, it was so good for us to be here. Wow, this is amazing. This is, wow, I can't believe this. Let's make three tabernacles. Do you know what he said by saying let's make three tabernacles? That Jesus was on par with Moses and Elijah. What? You just saw me transfigured before you and you want to make three tabernacles for all three of us as if we're all on par? And you know who speaks up? The Father from on high. And he says, this is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Listen to Him, not them. He didn't say that. He could have easily said that. But they they missed it entirely, wanting to make three tabernacles because they still didn't understand, even though they saw him transfigured before them. Oh, let's make three tabernacles, one for you, Moses, and Elijah. Do you still not see and understand? I am not like them. This is my son. Listen to him. Moses represented the law. He didn't say, listen to Moses and Jesus. No, listen to him. If you were going to say anything, it would make a tabernacle for him. Alone. He is the only one seated upon the throne. He is the only one worthy uh, to, to, be, to, to, to break open the seals and to loose all of that. He alone, not he and Moses, not he and Elijah, not he and the prophets, not he and the apostles. He alone is worthy of all the praise and all the glory and all the honor and all the majesty and all the power. Because his appearances can be deceiving. It says in Philippians 2 that he was found in the appearance as a man. Chapter, chapter 2 verse 8. He humbled himself 
He meaning God humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. And because of that, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that was above every name. But that's truly who he was. He whose name is above every other name, Moses and Elijah and all the rest. But appearances can be deceiving if we turn to Matthew 23, verses 2 through 5. Jesus said, the scribes and the Pharisees, where do they sit? They sit in Moses' seat. And whatever they tell you to do, observe and do them. But... Do not do according to the works. Do not do according to their actions. Because they say and do not do. Woe unto you what? Hypocrites. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on men's shoulders, and they themselves will not move even one finger to help. But all their works they do to be seen of men. All they care about is their outward appearance and how they look to men. That men would look up to them and honor them and respect them because they're a scribe, they're a Pharisee's He says in Matthew 23, at the end of the chapter in 25, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Jesus is not dismayed. He is not deceived by the outward appearance. He is exposing and revealing the intents of their heart. You're blind, Pharisee. You are first to cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of the cup and the dish may be then clean also. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful and outwardly. Y'all know what a tomb is, right? What is a tomb? It's a coffin. What does that mean? That you're dead. So what if it's a $5,000, $10,000 coffin? You're dead. And what does he say about them? That you are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. And indeed, you appear outwardly beautiful, but inside, inside, you're full of all uncleanness. Outwardly, you appear righteous to men, but inside, you are full of hypocrisy. You are full of lawlessness. Saints, that deception is real. It is as real today as it was back then. The deception is real. 
And you have to be aware, you have to recognize that your natural inclination is to honor and respect that which impresses you with the outward appearance. You need to guard your heart from that, knowing that that is your bent. That is your inclination. Just think about it. Just be honest with yourself. You see a man well-dressed, nice shoe, nice suit, maybe not even a nice suit, nice collar, no tie, dressed nicely, and then you see a homeless man next to him. Ask yourself, who are you going to be impressed with? Who are you going to be drawn to? Who are you going to probably want to talk to more? Be honest. Because we judge by appearance. We respond to things by their appearance. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul warns the church. There are false prophets. There are deceitful workers. They transform themselves into apostles of Christ. That's not just back then in the first century. There are many, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 through 15, that are walking that way today. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, they have the title apostle before their name. They have the title pastor before their name. They have the title bishop before their name, evangelist before their name. And you just knew this, brother. You want not much of anything. And all of a sudden, he's got this great, great, great title. And he's running and going out and doing all these things with that title on his front of his name. And no wonder, it says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. The devil doesn't come to you the way that he is, unclean, impure. He takes a shower. He washes it off and he cleans himself to make himself look like he's light. So that he can deceive you. He changes his appearance. Therefore, there is no great thing that even his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Jesus warned us just as Paul was warning us. Matthew 24, 4. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. That's an interesting term, the elect. The elect is a term that refers to the saints. But let me, let me at least try to qualify that. The elect turns to the saints that made it to the end. That they endured until the end. We know enough of the truth that there are some that's referred to as the mystery of iniquity that are going to be born again. They're going to go through the baby steps that we've talked about of repentance and baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they may walk for a while and then they're going to fall away. Well, that obviously they're not the elect. The elect are those that made it to the end. Those that endured it to the end. But you know what? God is the only one 
that knows who that person is that is going to make it to the end. He is the only one. He alone knows who will begin their walk with him and who won't begin at all. Parable of the sower, remember? Seed falling by the wayside, they never got it. They never walked with him. He knows every decision that you and I will make before we even make it. He knows how long you and I will walk with him before we turn aside. He also knows those that will walk and endure with him holding his hand to the very end. These are those that are called the elect. It only applies to them. We can't talk about it in the midst of life. Because we don't know. One day you could be on fire for the Lord. You could be zealous for the Lord. And you could want to tell everybody about his love. And the very next day you could be falling in sin and and, and drowning underneath the mud. And you won't cry out for help. Because it's what you wanted. You wanted to go back to the mud and the, and the pigsty. We don't know who that is. Day to day, we don't know who that is. That's why repentance is not a one-time event. It's daily event. It's every day I'm waking, walking in repentance. I'm not going to walk in my ways, my thoughts, because his ways are higher than my ways. I'm going to recognize that my thoughts may not be where they should be, and I have to align my thoughts with his word. And that's how I learned to then walk with him. That's how I learned to then talk with him. That's how I learned to then live in him. That's how I learned to then be led by him. Be walking with him, living with him, and led by him. So the elect are also called the saints. They're also called the just. They're also called the sheep. They're also called the sons of God, the children of God, the wheat, the slaves and instruments of righteousness, the good trees, the trees of righteousness planted by the Lord. All of those apply to the elect. But I can't talk about that during my life because I don't know who's going to make it. Anybody ever read how Paul, it's in my signatures. Anybody ever got an email signature from me? It's in my email signature. I have yet to apprehend that which Christ apprehended me. Paul said that. And if Paul can say that, then I should be echoing Paul's sentiment. I haven't yet made it. I don't know if five years from now I'm going to change. I hope not, God forbid. And Paul said, I can't even judge myself. I don't even allow myself to judge myself. Because on the day of judgment, I will not stand before the Lord in my own power and strength. If I stand, it will be because his spirit within me causes me to stand before him in righteousness. All others will bow. All others will bow down and prostrate and say, yes, you are Jesus Christ, the Lord. All others that stand in his presence is because they are enabled to stand by the Spirit of God that sanctified them. Amen. I don't know who's going to make it. 
There are those that are not the elect. Obviously, if there's an elect that made it, there's the elect that did not make it. And he calls them the wicked. He calls them the children of darkness. He calls them the goats. He calls them the tares, the sons of the wicked one, the slaves and instruments of righteousness and the bad trees. But even then, I, I can't really say that in this life, you are the bad tree because I don't know if tomorrow you're going to change. And God is going to transform you because that's what his kingdom does. You've read the parable of the kingdom of, uh, of the sower. He's throwing his seed all over the place. And the one that receives that good soil, receives it, takes it in, is joyful and bears forth fruit in his season, some 30, some 60, some 100. I don't know who that is. I hope it's me. And I hope it's you. I'm, 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 I'm talking about appearances and I'm talking about how they be seen because there is this one question that comes to my mind. It starts in Luke 6.37 and then I think of John 7.24. Luke 6.37 says, Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I know some saints that take that and they will not want to say anything about anybody. Not Christians in the church and not people outside. They will never want to judge whether what they're doing is right or wrong. And that's not what this is talking about. This judging is talking about condemning and saying you're going to hell right now because of what you just did. Well, what if they repent? You can't make that judgment. You can judge the act as being sinful, wrong, separating you from God, but you can't say whether that's going to be ultimately why you're going to hell or that you are going to hell and there's no hope for you. And so I think about John 7, 24 that says, do not judge according to what? Appearance. But it says, Jesus says, but judge, he says to judge, judge how? Righteous. With righteous judgment. Well, how in the world? What? How do I, how does one do that? How do I reconcile these two verses? Judge not and you shall not be judged. But then he says, judge with righteous judgment. I know this from the scriptures, and I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. Only God knows the heart of man. There's there's no argument. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, and without controversy, God is the only one that knows the hearts of man. How do I know? Luke 16, 15. Jesus said himself, God knows your hearts. He said in Acts one twenty four, the Spirit of God uh, says, as they prayed, and if you remember Acts one twenty four, they were all in the upper room. They were praying. They were trying to find this replacement for Judas. And in the prayer, it says, "You, O Lord, who knows the hearts of all." Acts one twenty four. Even they knew that. You remember Acts fifteen in the Jerusalem Council. 
The Jews are trying to understand, or, or not trying to understand, they're trying to argue about, hey, th those Gentiles, they need to circumcise themselves. They need to start, you know, following in line with the things that we're doing over here as Jews. And Peter spoke up and told them about how he administered to Cornelius, and he told them about what happened, and he says in verse 8, so God who knows the heart... Now, y'all know the account. Was Peter totally willing to go into the Gentiles' house? He was arguing with God. Because the appearance was, I am not allowed to be in the house of a Gentile. I'm going to dirty myself. That's not allowed. But God said to him, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And so he went into the house, and while he was ministering to them, he didn't even lay hands on them. Peter said, God who knows the heart acknowledged them. By what? By giving them the Holy Ghost. Just as he did to us. That was the sign. That, that was like, you can't argue anymore. As much as you Jews want to come up with you got to circumcise and you got to fall in line with our traditions and you got to keep our feasts and you got to keep our pastors, you cannot argue that Jesus, who is the baptizer in the Spirit, baptized them in the Spirit just like he did us. And I had nothing to do with it because I can't baptize anybody in the Spirit. So this all argument is vain. We are wasting our time here because God already put a stamp of approval on them. By giving them his spirit. Now, if he didn't give them his spirit, they would still be arguing to this day. But because the spirit was poured out on them, there's no arguments. Revelation 2.23, what does Jesus say? I'm going to kill their children with death, and the, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Jesus alone knows. So again, I'm asking, how, how, how am I to judge not, yet judge with righteous judgment? Let me give you an example of, a, of an account where a mere mortal man judged with righteous judgment. His name was Peter. And I don't know if you remember Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a plot of land. They said that they got a certain amount of money for it. They lied. And Ananias kept back part of the proceeds. His wife was also aware of it. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But they acted like it was everything. And Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. How did Peter know that? Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not your own to control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to me. You have not lied to men. You lied to God. Ananias heard these words and fell down and breathed his last. 
Three hours later, his wife came in. And Peter asked her the very same question. And she lied to him as well. And she fought, she fell down flat dead right there. How do I know that he judged with righteous judgment? Did he grab them by the throat and kill them himself? That would have been judging and condemning them. All he did was expose by revelation. And God confirmed the word that he spoke to them with signs and wonders, and they died right there. That was righteous judgment. Can't blame that on Peter. Peter was led of the Lord, he spoke the words of the Lord, and the Lord confirmed the word. So I say to you, yeah, it's possible to judge, but judge with righteous judgment. But only when one is given the discernment of spirits and is given that ability to see the heart of an individual, otherwise it'll be entirely difficult for anyone to judge with righteous judgment. And when I say discernment of spirits, I'm talking about the gifts of the spirit. Word of knowledge. That could have, you could say that he received the word of knowledge about them lying. Discernment of spirits. He could have seen the spirit that was lying through them. What I'm saying is that the Lord can move through you so that you can judge with righteous judgment. But be aware and, but beware that you are not judging according to appearance merely because of appearance. I, I, I didn't, it doesn't say that Peter, you know, did an investigation and, and called brethren to get together to kind of, you know, inspect and, and act like policemen and detectives and go figure it out. I, I don't get any of that from the scriptures. He just confronted them. And God confirmed it. In 1 Corinthians 2.11, it says something also about this, this matter that we're talking about today. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man that is in him? That is to say that only you know why you did what you did, said what you did. Only you. Because only you understands that the source of everything that comes out of this mouth is from my heart. It's from my spirit. And only I know why I said what I said or did what I did. I could confess it to you and then reveal it to you. Or maybe I'm stuck and I'm in bondage. I'm in a confusing place and I don't even know why I did it, but it, it was me. I have to accept responsibility. We all do for everything said and done in this life. But only the spirit of man knows his own spirit. And in that way, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So if I listen to the spirit, I have access beyond my means to know things that otherwise I could not know. How is it that I can judge and judge righteously? Hebrews 4.12, I think, speaks to this. It says, for the word of God is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul 
and the spirit. Like dividing between the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner, the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In other words, the word of God exposes, the word of God reveals. And I go back to Revelation and it says of him, when John saw that heaven opened and he behold, he saw a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And it says that he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood in Revelation 19, 11 through 13 and his name is called the word of God. I'm not talking about the black and white words on the page. The word of God is living, is powerful, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the tents of the heart. And his other name is faithful and true. And when he judges, he judges in righteousness and makes war. So it's Jesus. So I guess our question to you this day is, it is to all of us, as I'm sharing this, is do you look at things according to the outward appearance? Consider in yourself. Look in the mirror and say, do I, do I judge by outward appearance? That's not just my question. That's actually this, the question of the Spirit of the Lord because the Spirit of the Lord asked the very same question through Paul to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10.7. He says, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this in himself. That just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. We've gone through a lot over the last weeks and months in this nation. And I look at all the chaotic things that have happened and the crazy things that have been said and, and the narrative over here and the narrative over there and everyone sees in color right now. Am I the only one that sees that? Everybody's seeing everybody in color. By the color of their skin is what I'm talking about. And it's carnal. I, I, I don't know about y'all, but I can honestly say that when I interact with all of you, I don't see you as, oh, this brother's a black man, and this brother's a white man, and this brother's a Colombian, and this brother's a, an American, and although he's got some Mexican descent. I don't, I don't, none of that occurs to me. I, you're just my, you're just my brother. You're just my sister. I don't care what color you are. But what is the fruit of everyone in this nation seeing in color? It's division. Everyone is being divided left and right. Everybody's got a different shade of color. Can you imagine how many divisions are happening? Not only it's in our society, not only it's in the world... But the sad thing is that it's even within the body of Christ. Saints are looking at situations and looking at all things going on and they're beginning to just 
instead of being up here, they're bring brought down here to see everybody in color, and it's bringing division. Where once brothers and sisters will be able to walk together, now they don't walk together because they're now seeing things in color. And it's bringing division. And it's dividing. Yet Paul warned us of this, and he was really warning of doctrine. But if we are seeing each other in color, sometimes those different colored glasses, whether they be yellow glasses or brown glasses or, or dark tinted black glasses, or they shade the things that we see. And we're all looking at the same thing, but they see it in yellow, they see it in red, they see it in black, they see it in brown, they see and nobody, and we're all looking at the same thing. But we gotta take these glasses off. Everybody's gotta see impurity. Everybody's gotta see what they need to see by the Spirit of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I plead with you, brethren. Paul says, I plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and there be no divisions among you. No divisions. Not just in doctrine, no divisions. Because there are divisions where I was baptized in Paul. I was baptized uh, uh, in, in Barnabas. I was baptized in, in somebody else. And there was divisions. Carnal. It doesn't matter what it's about. It could be something about religion. Or it could be something about this going on in the world. We cannot see things divided by color, doctrine. Anything, he goes furthermore to say that not only should there be any divisions among you, but you should be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You should all, by the Spirit of God, be able to look at the same thing and come up with the same conclusion. No color. That's irrelevant. But that's what the world wants. And they're dividing our nation by color. And we're seeing it all around. We're seeing the fruits of it. It's not good. But I'm seeing it kind of seep into the body of Christ. And so I'm here as a voice of warning. Don't let that happen to us. Don't start seeing one another by color. The world says, well, I'm black and you ain't black, so you can't understand me. You don't understand what I went through or what I've gone through. Has anybody read 2 Corinthians chapter 1? We just taught this in our Bible study recently. We go through tribulations and we go through testings and it's for a very specific reason. Not that there's a myriad of reasons, but there's one specific reason that we go through testings and troubles is because when we're consoled by the Lord, He wants us to go out and console others who are also being tested and tried in the same manner. He wants us to be that. To them. But I can't be that if you're going to look at my color and tell me that I cannot speak the words of life into your life. Because I, I look Hispanic. Maybe it's an Asian. Oh, well, you don't understand where I come from. You don't understand my culture. You don't understand this. You don't understand that. And I can't speak into your life. Well, you just nullify the word of God then. So my reminder is Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above. Not on things in the earth. I mean, to, to me, it, it's so abundantly clear with Acts 17, 26. Because we need to change our language. 
Our language is being used to divide us as people, as, as, as a nation, as people in the world. And it's this, the idea that there are races. If we don't change the language, we're always going to be divided by language because the very use of the word racist is not scriptural. Have you read Acts 17, 26? It says, of every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, he made them of one blood. All of them. Whether they be olive color, or white, white, white Caucasian, or black, 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 or brown, brown, brown mix, or Asian, or whatever nationality that is in the earth, they're all made of one. There's only one race. But we keep talking about, oh, well, the black race and the Hispanic race and the this race and the that race, well, we're feeding into it. And so we can't be unified because we're using language that is dividing us. I personally have not used races for a long time. And I find it hard to understand why people can't understand that. Especially Christians. Because we understand that evolution is not real, do we not? So every dog produces after its own kind. Every cat produces after its own kind. Every giraffe produces after its own kind. Just because there's different variations of dog, we don't say that there's different dogs. This we don't make that argument. Every human produces after its own kind. I have brothers and sisters all around the world. Some I know, and most I don't. And some I see doing God-awful, evil things against other brothers and sisters of mine. Maybe we can say cousins, because they ain't that close to me, but they're still family. Every one of us is family. Some of you grew up in the ghetto, some of you didn't. Some of you grew up rich, some of you grew up middle class, some of you grew lower middle class, some of you grew upper middle class, lower rich class, and, and some of you grew really low class. I mean, the, the variety of our experiences is, innu is measurable, it's innumerable. But nevertheless, you're all my brothers and sisters. I have brothers and sisters all over the world. Some of them are in Christ and some of them are not, but we're all brothers and sisters because we're all one race. And I think that's one thing that we as the body of Christ should be ministering to so that we can get rid of some of this division that's happening in the world. Yes, I'm the type of person that believes that that brother that did that bad thing to that other brother, they're both my family relatives. Isn't it awful? So I want to leave you with that hope. As I close out in the last four verses, there is a promise. I have not yet apprehended that for which Christ apprehended me. I'm not yet complete. I'm not yet perfect. But I know that when I was born again and when you were born again, that he deposited the agent of your transformation. And that was the word of God or the Spirit of God 
the incorruptible word was deposited in you. And I know that when sometimes we look at each other, and like I said, our outward man is it's dying every day, it's growing old, and it's changing, and it's getting all kind of raggedy and getting slower than usual, and, and, and not being able to heal as quickly as usual, and, and getting a lot more gray hairs than they usually did, or getting bald spots, or losing hair, and all of this stuff. Listen! I don't care about all of that because Paul said by the Spirit of God that, beloved, now we are the children of God. It doesn't yet appear. It, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be just like Him. That's our promise. That's our hope. That's what we look forward to. And so Paul and the rest of the apostles harped on, hey, there's a resurrection. Your relatives are not gone. If they're died in Christ, you will see them again. We will all see each other again when the Lord returns. And those who are alive standing will not precede those that have already died. They'll go first and we'll join them right after. It says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. It's all going to happen in that day, that day that's called in the day of Christ Jesus. In the day of the Lord. For the earnest expectation of Romans 8.19, the creation eagerly awaits. What are they waiting for? The revealing, the manifestation of the sons of God. You're not yet there. You're not yet done. And even though you're imperfect, if you hold on to the Lord, if you endure until the end, He will perfect all that which you see in yourself that is lacking. And so I remind us all from 1 Corinthians 4, 5, that we are never, ever in this life since we don't know who's going to make it, or not going to make it, who's going to decide for the Lord, or not decide for the Lord, who's going to be a tear, or who's going to be a weep, who's going to be a son of wickedness, or who's going to be a son of righteousness. We can't determine that right now. Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord comes, there will be a time of judgment. It will be declared everyone who they really are, who they're really for. And that will be when the Lord comes. And when He comes, He'll bring both, He'll bring light to the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels, the thoughts, the imaginations, the intentions, and the motivations of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. And I hope that we all are expecting that day to come and looking forward to it. In Jesus' name. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to someone else by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, 
leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus or cash app dollar sign jbenjesus or Venmo jbenjesus. That's J-B-E-N-J-E-S-U-S. God bless.